Welcome to Driven Radio Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Your hosts are freelance auto journalist, senior auction analyst for Sports Car Market Magazine and American Car Collector Magazine, writer and editor of ReadTheDriven.com, Brett Hatfield, plus videographer and host of the YouTube channel Craving Cars, Corey Pratt, and 35-year radio veteran, book publisher, and vehicular village idiot, Mark Catfish Groves. Let's rev up the conversation. Time for Driven Radio Show. Welcome to Driven Radio, your weekly home of automotive escapism. I am your host, Brett Hatfield, here with our intrepid and insipid engineer, mm-hmm. Catfish Groves. Yep. And Corey Pratt of Craving Cars on YouTube. Yay, that's me. Uh, we're coming to you... Via the interwebs, because none of us can be in each other's presence anymore. (laughs) (laughs) It's come to that point in our relationship. We love each other so much. And then there's also a thing called COVID-19, but. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And we've we've got a story about a guy being a jackleg during the the, the coronavirus. That's an amazing, amazing thing. Uh, okay folks if you like what you're hearing please tell your friends if there's something you'd like to hear more of please tell us uh this week we've got news about five ways to bring your car out of storage for spring all the new cars you can still buy with manual transmissions how to show off your classic on an online virtual car show uh a little news about the shelby gt350 and uh, oh, the schmuck in, in New York. God, I can't believe him. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Jason did uh, not take Manhattan this time. <laughs> uh, we got a lot to get to, so uh, let's get her started. Get to getting. Uh, we got a great week uh, article from uh, Haggerty this week about uh, how to bring your car out of storage and get it ready for spring, summer, fall driving. And uh, it it goes into a lot of depth and a lot of detail, and they do an awfully good job of going through step by step what you ought to do before you slide behind the wheel and turn that key. You know, I think First it was Haggerty time. that uh, uh, what was it a couple of years ago uh, where we talked about how to store your car, and it's one of the things they had. They had great information on Haggerty dot com, and one of the things was uh, you know uh, putting some stuff in your tailpipe to try to keep. Yeah. Squirrels. Yeah. Put a banana, squirrels out yeah. <laughs> Put a banana in there because that'll stop the car from running. And you'll be able to get away. Um, <laughs> yeah. the uh, uh, It keeps the little varmints uh, from climbing up in there and, and building stuff. It had a lot of, well, lot of good uh, info. Haggerty, Haggerty's got such an amazing uh, enthusiast following that stuff like this is kind of a gimme for them. But uh, first of all, they say inspect. Grab a flashlight. And do a thorough check of your car. Keep an eye out for cracks or evidence of leaks, worn-out bushings, or wiring that needs attention. Uh, they say be very meticulous. Go all through your car, over, under, in the engine compartment. Sit in the driver's seat. Test the brakes. Hold the brake pedals down. Uh, brake pedal down uh, like a normal stop once, and then do a panic stop once, and make sure that you don't have the pedals slowly go to the floor, which would be bad. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah, that's not good. At all. Uh, they say. Do a full clean of your car. Now, this this is the one that I've always done. I clean the car thoroughly because that means you spend time going over every inch of the whole stinking car and looking at everything. And uh, I think that's a, a, a great way to, uh, to find little problems before you get out on the road. They say prepare to start. They've got a, 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 a checklist to go through about 
lubing the top part of your engine because all the oil settles down into the pan and there's none in the heads on the pistons. That makes sense. When you go to start. Now, how do you do that? Uh, do you just like grab the fan and put it in neutral or something and kind of wiggle it around? Uh, or They say if you've got the ability and the confidence to spin the oil pump before cranking the engine to do so, if huh. not, grab an oil can, remove the valve covers, and oil the top end. Oh, wow. Uh, just directly just get in there. Check. Yeah, they advise checking your fuel lines uh, and being prepared for about anything, especially if you store the car with fuel that has blended ethanol in Ooh. it. Yeah, because that's hard on carbs. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I had to partially rebuild the carb on the Corvette a few years back because ethanol ate part of the carb. Ethanol away. ate my baby. Well, couldn't you just cut down on your bread intake? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that might work. Well, it's so nice now with all these uh, little places, Casey's and some of the quick trips and everything uh, in the neighborhoods having, you know, straight gasoline, real old fashioned um, gasoline. All you got to do is go find some lead. Quick trip has been pretty good about having ethanol free gas. And the other one is high V. Almost every high V gas station I've been to will have at least one or two different choices for ethanol free and fresh at fruit. least. Yeah. And fresh bread. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. You, nice. you see what happens when you leave Corey alone for a week? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> anyway, uh, they detail how to go through that, uh, how to check check your fuel lines, uh, how to get ready to start it. Uh, you know, if it's a fuel-injected car, don't push the gas. And also advise you to go for a short drive just around the block and Pay attention to how the car feels, how it sounds, what's going on. Take it back home, look at it, and see what the car's doing. Really great article, and we've got the link for that on uh, readthedriven.com. Very nice, very nice. Well, this this may not be the newest article in town, but uh, Car and Driver did a thing about the cars that new cars that you can still buy today with a manual transmission. So not for the millennials out there, but for the rest of everybody else that's older. <laughs> no, but the article, when I saw it, said that there's now more electric cars than there are manual transmission cars, and I think that's a sad state of affairs. <laughs> Isn't that kind of crazy? I mean, they actually physically sold more electric cars, too, didn't they, than manual transmission cars? What? Wow. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I'm sad seeing day. the end of an epoch. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right, well, right. I'm loving the fact that gas is almost down to a buck now. How do you feel about your little electric fizzy car? I just saw today, <laughs> as of recording this, a friend of mine posted, uh, they still live in southern Missouri. They were down in Arkansas and took a picture of a uh, of a gas uh, uh, price sign that had 99 cents a gallon on it. <laughs> really? Where was yeah. that at? It's somewhere in Arkansas. It was 99 cents for that and, uh, you know, 250 bucks a gallon for moonshine, so... Makes you want to drive down there with a flatbed truck with an above-ground pool on it. I know, right? (laughs) Hop in, kids. It's testing all. Well, as we all know, the manual transmission, unfortunately, is a dying breed. But there are a few of them out there. Uh, We've lost some over the years uh, here in America, like with Cadillac losing a few of its cars, like the ATS-V. And the Jag, of course, has no longer offers a a six-speed manual option for the F-types. But... Good news is there's some really cool cars out there that still have manual transmission options like the Chevy Spark, the Honda Accord, 
The stop fit. it. The stop it. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, oh, wait, what? Stop it. Oh. What? This, this, oh, this show is not called a Kano Crap Box. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yaris. Okay. Joking aside on that, of course, there, there, are, uh, there are some base type cars, I guess you can say, that you can still get on that manual. You know, And Honda has a few with the Accord, the Civic, the Fit. Uh, the Hyundai has like the Accent, the, the, the Elantra, Mazda 3. Mitsubishi Mirage, Nissan Versa, the Corolla, things like that. But really, you know, the kind of podcast we are, who cares about those? So, <laughs> Not us, Jack. Uh, Although, moving on to the you, sportier ones. I'll tell you what, one of the old rules of thumb still holds true. If you're really broke, you better learn how to drive a stick. <laughs> Amen. Uh, yeah, and They're available. some of the cheapest cars you can buy, you're right. Our manuals. I mean, look at the Mitsubishi Mirage. What is that, a $13,000 car brand new or something? I don't know, but it's... Manual transmission. There you go. And difficult to look at. Yes. Yeah. But at least you have uh, no no uh, interest payments for 80 months. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Was that rude? Was that wrong? Ford's doing that now. I, sh- I shouldn't say things like that. Well, because we're talking about uh, what we combine in the U.S. market, let's start with the American cars and the cool stuff. So, Chevy, uh, you've got many versions of the Camaro where you can still get the manual, including all the way up to uh, – Basically, the Z01, you know, the latest yes. model, Z01 is still available in a manual. I the would Corvette, love it. Unfortunately, not the C8, but the C7 that's still available that you can still buy still has the yeah, yeah, yeah. options. Uh, and there's still a lot of those on dealer lots. A bunch yeah, of yeah. the 19s didn't move because everybody knew that the, the C8 was uh, gone. Yeah, of course. Of course. Uh, Mustang, uh, pretty much every option uh, all the, throughout the whole trim line outside of, of course, the GT500, but um, has the manual option. The Challenger, unfortunately, the Challenger does have manual options, but not on a few of them. The, the SXT, the GT, or the Hellcat Red Eye oh, does not have a manual option. No stick now on the Hellcat? The SXT and the GT, I thought, were the uh, lower end, closer to entry level for a Challenger, that is. And, but the fact that you can't get it in the Hellcat Red Eye, oh, man. I know. Yeah. On the Japanese side, the uh, Fiat 124 Spider. Well, it's, which is funny that you say that because even though no, it's under a European You know exactly brand, why I say but, that. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Right. So <laughs> obviously you get the Fiat 124 Spider and the Miata still has many uh, options for the manual side. Believe it or not, I mean, I know we don't have as many cool sports cars coming out of Japan as we used to back in the day, but there are still a few. The Civic Type R only comes in a manual option. The yeah. Veloster N, which is actually a, a nice sporty hatchback car. It's pretty fast. Mark's Velo Star. The that Velo only, Star. Yeah, there you go. The That's Velo right. Star <laughs> only has a, a manual option 70s? as well. So there are no automatic options for that. Uh, things like the Genesis G70. Uh, it's only for the two-liter turbo model, though. Uh, yeah, but the that's Nissan, a really the cool car to be able to get with a stick. I would say so because it's kind of like that sporty luxury car. Yes, absolutely. To be able to get a really cool four-door car that still has a manual. Dude, that's cool. There's not very many left. <laughs> no, like the 370Z, for instance. Not a four-door car. No, not But a you can get car. it in a manual. <laughs> Super has some car. options with the WRX and the STI. And, uh, of course, going over to the BRZ and the Toyota 86, which are kind of the same cars as well. Uh, on the European side, Golf pretty much has almost on every trim, and I bring that up because you can get a Golf R or a GTI, which are very sporty cars, in the manual. The Jetta GLI is a six-speed option as well. And on the cooler side of things, BMW has the two and four series. 
Now, they may not have a lot of M cars with manuals anymore, but you can still get an M2 competition pack even with a manual. Those are very fun cars. And also that cool little Lotus, Lotus Avora GT. Oh, yeah, that really is. a that, That's actually one of those cars that I think I would have to look at one of those before I would buy a 911 just to make sure I really <laughs> want a 911. It, well, and you can still get a 911. Yeah, and then it's a good right. Uh, which, speaking of which, Mini 911s that way, the Porsche uh, 718 Boxster and Cayman uh, also has Mini manual options. Very so, cool. Yeah, so there's still some fun cars out there, uh, that very visceral type of feel with the manual transmission. And Go uh, ahead and get one of those yeah. manual transmission cars. You'll be able to keep 80% of the millennials from driving yours. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Someone's like, hey, can I drive your car? Bless their you hearts. probably can't. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Toss them the keys. Go figure that but, out. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. There that was uh, kind of cool kind of looking the list of that. This will give me years of joy. You get on it, Tiger. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well, uh, if you're, And they hold their value better. If you've got one of those stick cars that you want to kind of show off, you can do it virtually. This comes also from Haggerty.com. Uh, Gilmore Museum's having their first ever virtual car show. It's in southern Michigan, and this is this is just brilliant. This is what we as a community need to be doing, a car community. Yep. Uh, Saturday, April 11th, uh, probably uh, by the time this show posts, uh, the museum <laughs> will host its first ever virtual car show on its website. There are separate categories. There are separate categories for projects, customs, trucks, and motorcycles, as well as bracketed time periods. You've got the pre-1920, 21 to 42, 45 to 69, and decade by decade through 2000. It starts at 2 p.m. on Saturday, so you can uh, you know log in and, and give it a watch. Museum's going to award the top three places in each category. First gets a prize that they haven't said yet, and second and third, well, you get, you get to brag about it. And I'm sure I'll bet you get some type of e-badge, so you can put it up on your website or your Facebook page and say, hey, check this out. I got this. Uh, there will there will also be overall awards, including best in show, one uh, each for pre war and post war, and a preservation award for those who have uh, kept it, you know, uh, Kansas antique pristine. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, crappy breaks, but hey, it's original. Uh, we'd say join the revolution, but we hope this virtual show. It's just we we really hope it's just a stopgap measure because you know there's really nothing like hooking up getting together and just saying, hey, man, and walking around and checking out the vehicles and having those face-to-face chats. Uh, my favorite, One of my favorite parts, besides, you know, ooing and aahing over uh, but, amazing rolling iron. Well, we like the smell of, of uh, octane and coffee. That's not bad, and sometimes the free donuts don't hurt. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, well, We're looking at you, well, Kansas City Automotive Museum. <laughs> yeah, we, we look like guys who like a free donut. Yeah, uh, donut. <laughs> <laughs> Gilmore Museum, good on you for your first ever virtual car show, and keep it going yeah, forward, man. That's awesome. I love it. Motor Trend is saying that the Ford Shelby GT350 appears to be dead. Mind you, this is one of the manual transmission cars. Oh, <laughs> you know what? We, we talked a little bit about that uh, in another show, but it hadn't really gone into depth. I didn't even think or realize that it was one of the stick shifts. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, the GT350 and the GT350R might be going away soon. Uh, there's a basically there's some indication that there's only going to be one 5.2 liter V8 for the 2021 models for the Mustang lineup, and we all know that the GT500 also has a 5.2 liter V8. Yeah, well, that now, great big hairy supercharger on top oh, of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I know in the past, I mean, I feel like every time that there was a GT500, the GT350 was gone as well. They typically would only have one or the other. So 
I'm not surprised at this move. I mean, come on. Uh, obviously, they're not going to be dropping the GT500. That just came out. Well, yeah, that was and, just last year. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, granted, they get rid of the flat plane for crate for the cross plane. Yeah, it's for the, it's on this first year model, right? Which I know, Brett, you and I really like that flat plane crank V8. So, I mean, it's the first one yeah. that's ever been in a Mustang, let alone probably a Ford in general. Uh, it's typically kind of more of a European thing. But I'm not going to ignore the fact that the uh, GT500, though, does produce 300 or 234 more horsepower than the GT350. So at 760 horsepower, I would think that that's the one they're going to keep. Unfortunately, there is no manual option for that car, Well, which sucks. But unfortunately, sorry for all you GT350 fans out there. I actually got a buddy that owns one. Thank God he already has it. Um, it looks like it's uh, going to be going bye-bye. I want to drive that car. Uh, you should. I've driven one, and uh, it's absolutely lovely. It makes other Mustangs look like, well, not very good. I just want to hear the sounds because <laughs> all, all, yeah. the, all the clips I've seen of it, it sounds glorious. I'm sure from inside the car, it's just, just amazing. That's it's, especially and it's crazy to me how it's being stocked the way it is on how much you can open the exhaust. It's got the exhaust flaps on it that you can. <laughs> and, man, it just makes a completely different kind of noise. I lovely. Bet. Absolutely lovely. And you know, if they stop making them 15 years from now, there's going to be somebody with one of those with 60,000 miles in the garage that's going to make a mint off of it. Yeah, they're just going to go, you know, it's like anything. If they stop making them, then the value of the of the early ones are probably just going to go up, I would imagine. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Just like I'm making the owners upset by any means. Okay, well, now that you've got me in a bad mood. <laughs> you're welcome. And for the very keen-eyed of you out there, you may have noticed that sometime back, we started posting driven radio as having explicit language because every now and then one of us will let a word fly that isn't really family friendly. I don't know what you're talking about, and I can neither confirm nor deny that I've done that. Yeah, well, <laughs> warning, here it comes. Yep. <laughs> In our asshole of the week column, dun, dun, dun. a millionaire who's high off his ass wrecked his ultra-rare three-quarter of a million-dollar Porsche while speeding around the deserted streets of Manhattan. Uh, this has got a hole written on it about seven different ways. Maybe he's doing his uh, gone in 60 seconds routine, as in here's a supercar gone in 60 seconds. Yeah, here's three quarter uh, of a million gone in 60 gone. seconds. Yeah. <laughs> well, zero Benjamin to uh-oh. Chin, yeah. Benjamin Chin, 33, and a jackass, wow, lost control of his ultra rare supercar at 7.30 a.m. on Tuesday while speeding around the deserted streets of Manhattan while allegedly high on drugs, and he plowed into several parked cars. I wonder if he uh, just got up, oof. if he just woke uh, up, or maybe he'd been up for, I don't know, three days, maybe? I don't know. What, I was in a hurry. He, he, was, yeah, he was going to get a breakfast burrito. I mean, you can't yeah, hold this roll. against him. He was really hungry. <laughs> and in Manhattan, where the hell do you find a Taco Bell? Roll out of bed, four fat rails, <laughs> half a bottle of Absolute, get behind yeah. the wheel. <laughs> oh, he was staying on the white line, all right. <laughs> yeah, he was. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> they tried to give him the test later. He wanted to snort it. The 33-year-old Chin is a wealthy luxury car enthusiast. He's also one of the founders of the Gold Rush Rally. He plowed into one car. Uh, it looked like he broke the tie rod on the passenger side front tire. Yeah. And uh, the... Had one of the rear wheels crammed up into the bodywork pretty well. Backs that sucker up, Time steers it down the street. <laughs> and if you watch the video from the link that we've got on our website, drives down the street and you can't quite see where he goes, but uh, you can hear him hit something else. 
Oh yes. my goodness. Yeah. First shot wasn't good enough for him. Let's back her up and take another stab at it. Maybe he was mad because it still rolled. So he's like, oh, I can fix this. Yeah. I don't know. A stunned New Yorkers looked on as Chin tried to drive away despite the heavy damage to the body and tires. Eventually, the cops caught up with him and arrested Chin and charged him with reckless driving and driving under the influence of drugs. All this while New York, the single most infected place in the country, is under a strict lockdown with nearly a thousand corona related deaths in the last 24 hours and wow. taking their total up over 3500 right now that you dude know, was by, better wow. than secretariat because he took the triple a-hole crown he took the triple crown polished her up and gave it new meaning <laughs> he is our a-hole of the week congratulations <laughs> benjamin chen well might you pushed that off to the rest of the month just for the fact because it was a porsche <laughs> which i'm a very big fan of is what got not smashed. only that porsche carrera gt modified yeah. by gimbala earlier mm. today when we were talking about it in a messenger i did a little mathing and basically the value of that car and if we include tax you, I could have bought about 68 cars that I like. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Bought my dream lake house over at Lake Winnebago. Oh, yeah. It isn't even for sale. And I'm pretty sure 750 would have been enough to talk the owner out of it. Yeah. Congrats, yeah. Mr. Chen. Hopefully you can sell the scrap for enough money to pay your bail, you jack leg. <laughs> and on um, that um, note, Mr. Radio. Angry. <laughs> jack leg. Ah! Oh, yeah. Our special guest this week is automotive historian Richard Earle. Richard will be here to discuss the dream team that was GM in the 50s and 60s, spearheaded by his grandfather, the legendary Harley Earle. All this and much, much more is coming up on Driven Radio. And welcome back to Driven Radio. Our special guest this week is Richard Earle. Richard has spent the last 24 years unearthing the story of America's mid-20th century auto world with a focus on General Motors. Richard's uh, also the grandson of Harley Earle, a pioneer of modern transportation design. Richard lives in South Florida and edits the official HarleyJEarle.com website. He's dedicated over 20 years to researching the amazing stories of the American auto industry relating mainly to the mid-20th century and the golden era of auto manufacturing. Richard, welcome to Driven Radio. You know, it's great to be here. Um, you know, strange times, but, uh, you know, some, through the problems in life, we all know that that lies a lot of the solutions. So I think uh, we're going we're gonna to come out of this and, and, and it, you know, it's going to be, um, who knows, a wonderful silver lining in here somewhere, I'm sure. Yeah, I think the largest unintended consequence is people are no longer going to be willing to dress up for work. They're going to want to go in <laughs> jammy pants and gym shorts. Dude, I haven't worn shoes in so long. It's almost embarrassing. I'm like, wow, my inner hippie is really popping out here. I got to watch this. <laughs> what are shoes? And, and, oh, speaking of Harley, I'm working on Harley hair here. <laughs> rode the soft tail a little bit earlier today, and it looked like the, the wolf man at the nursing home. <laughs> now, <laughs> Richard, you're in Florida, so the, the question on the top of everybody's mind oh, is, man. have you seen the smoke from that car fire near that airport where 3,500 <laughs> rental cars pretty much went up in flames? Is that anywhere you know, near you? I, I kind of stay away from um, 
the news these days. Uh, just <laughs> I like hard. to, you know, I got, I got a little back pain as it is. I don't need any more. <laughs> yeah, you don't need it that far south. I understand. But, right. You know, any 3,500 cars, um, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a shame, obviously, and, and uh, it's horrible, horrible to hear that. Well, it was it was thirty five hundred rental cars. They probably lost three or four good ones. <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know that's that's the Harley Earl story. One of the reasons uh, you know I'm doing this story is to make cars um, uh, as beautiful as they were in the fifties and what was going on then. You didn't need to go to a modern art museum back in the mid fifties. You could just be at any major intersection and look out the window of your car and watch the motoramic masterpieces go by. And uh, it was uh, it was just like people can't they, – they, they have no idea of what it's like to have um, uh, amazing works of art and engineering designed for the masses. I mean, it would solve all the problems of, um, of young people being uh, – like sitting on the fence post whether they want a car – I, I don't believe that, quite frankly. When young people get a little older, they, 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 they're going to get married, and, and it's kind of nice to have – you have to have a car if you get married and have kids. And the other thing, they'll flip-flop in a, in a New York minute. Um, if they were to win the lottery, they would – the first important purchase they go out and buy, they're not going to go out and buy a house or an apartment. They're going to buy a nice car. Yeah, wheels, baby. <laughs> so, it, the the cars being rolling art is that what got you interested in car? I mean, aside from having Harley Earl for a grandfather. Well, you know, it 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 is um, a lot of people think it was Harley that took the Earls into the uh, automobile world, and and that's just not true. It was Harley's uh, late nineteenth century coach building father who, in eighteen eighty nine, um, started his coach work, the Earl uh, Carriage Works on, um, you know, in what was Carriage Row in downtown Los Angeles. And that was seven years before Henry Ford created the quadricycle. So, you know, the Earl Auto Legacy antedates uh, the Fords. It's one of those, you know, we're one of the first families on wheels in America. And a lot of people don't know this, but the Earl Automobile Works was the largest uh, automotive concern west of the Mississippi um, uh, you know, a hundred years, a little over a hundred years ago right now. Nice. So how old were you when you found out your grand, who your grandfather was and did the gravity or the weight of who he was sink in then, or was it something you had to learn as you got a little older? Yeah. yeah I, we, you know, it's kind of an interesting family, uh, situation. And, uh, thanks for being interested. You guys, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm fat. I always love telling the story because I feel like I'm sitting in a room with um, uh, some garden variety good Americans, and, um, and 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 Harley was one. He said he wrote about it. Uh, he was a prolific writer. But I'm going to answer your question. Um, but the but the thing is, he was a, this way. He was a garden variety good American, along with those other guys that created the success story at GM back from the 20s through the 50s. But you know, my grandfather really didn't kick in. Um, I knew him, you know, of course, of course, how well do you know your grandfather when, when, when uh, he dies and you're 10? So, you know, you just don't know. 
I knew he was kind of the stuff that legends were made of and, you know, sitting on his lap or walking with him on the beach or something. Harley and my grandmother, I grew up in, in Palm Beach, Florida, and my folks, you know, my, my paternal father was Jerry, the second son. And we lived uh, at first uh, a couple blocks away from the grandparents, and I was really young then. And then we moved, and we were less than a mile away, but uh, my grandparents had a beach house, and they had a very modest house on the beach, one-story house, and it was called the Petite Pink Palace because my grandmother loved pink, and it wasn't a garish kind of loud pink. It was a kind of a Bermuda or a soft coral pink. And anyway, to, to, to tell you how far he was uh, over, head over heels in love with his color, um, my grandfather and, uh, would, would order custom design cars, Corvettes, of course, and they would be minted in GM styling and then hand delivered to the driveway. And this was all happening when I, had, I have two older sisters and a brother and I was the youngest son. But this was all happening when I was, a, you know, a little kid. And I got to rub my hands down these sexy, <laughs> curvaceous cars um, that were like something, you know, the most amazing sports cars in probably America, if not the world, in the mid-60s. Nobody else had that type of, um, uh, you know, SWAT inside the auto industry. And it's just a great story. You can see for, well, for your, for your listeners, they can just go to the harleyjearl.com website, the home site. And there's an article that was written. Uh, it was uh, in their uh, best of America section. And it's called Steve Jobs and the King of Stylish Cars. And there's some great pictures of us kids growing up in, in the driveway. And, uh, you know, you got, Harley's 63 Corvette with the side pipes, convertible. You know, I mean, it's like to to be able to run your hands down that baby when you're a kid, that's where I got them. That's awesome. So what led you to start studying uh, the golden age of American automotive design? Oh, gosh, it's it's so funny. It's so typically American. So, you know, there's so many things in this story that, you know, I say when I do – you know, talks, yes, this is something very American happened here. And so I just, gosh, you know, my grandmother told me Harley passed in 69. So we're, you know, it's 51 years since he passed this year. And uh, my grandmother lived for another 20 years after she did. And I was 29 when she passed in 1989. And she had always said to me, I want you to go back into the the auto business, nobody's in it in the family. And that's a shame. And, you know, I didn't really listen and she passed, but boy, within a few years, I was like, I mean, a young man in my thirties and I was, and I love cars. And I was like, um, I, I'll tell you what, I, I met a writer. I was living in New York city, working on wall street. And I met a writer at an international motor press association luncheon. And his name was Carl Spielvogel, and he had been a business writer for the New York Times back in 1956. And we're sitting next together, together having lunch, and he's like, Rich, you got to go down to the New York Public Library and um, get this article I wrote on your grandfather. 
in the New York Times when I was a business writer, and he was the CEO of a corporation now, you know, in 1996. So sure, it wasn't hard to get me to do that. I was already researching the story and thinking of moving, you know, I was kind of on the fence. I wanted to move to Detroit and research the story. And I found this article, you know, it wasn't hard to get me to go down to the New York Public Library and find this article. It had things in it that nobody in GM knew anything about. And my family were completely reluctant to any kind of insight into who this man really was. So that kind of frustrated me. And I was like uh, the one that was going to carry, you know, be the standard bear. But in the article, you know, Harley has this quote and you can see it. It's, uh, you know, I have this article up on, um, on the website and in the article, he's, you know, uh, is he's quoted saying, in order to make these cars to sell, I became the most hated man inside the corporation because I got into everybody's hair, end quote. <laughs> and, and I read that along with a couple of other things, you guys, it just was like double lightning bolts going off. And I was like, I moved out to Detroit in later that year. And, and that made the decision for me to make the move. And I, so I lived there, went around with a tape recorder for, um, you know, at the end of the 20th century, those rich years, all these guys were still around and women that knew my grandfather. And so I was able to get the firsthand interviews and, and, and with a, you know, micro cassette recorder and, um, and just get these anecdotes that were just priceless. And I, I, I could, I could, you know, pretty much, um, if you ask me something specifically, I probably bring one up. Well, for the uninitiated, for those who don't know about your grandfather, uh, can you tell us a bit about him? Well, he was six foot six. He was two hundred and thirty-five pounds. Um, he was uh, he was Leroy he was Brown. a tough guy, and um, he was an artist engineer. Uh, have you guys ever seen a full-size uh, clay model of an automobile? No, I'm okay. a first-in restoration program alum, so I've gotten to see a lot of cool stuff. But that was after Harley had already made his mark. How did he get a start? You know, they grew up in Hollywood. They were one of the, and that's where Harley was born in 1893. So his family, uh, seeing that his father sniffed the winds of change going into the 20th century and switched his firm over to the Earl Automotive Works, they started building all of the transportation products for, for, for the entertainment industry, which was like going dovetailing with what the automobile industry was doing. And you could just imagine what the heck was going on in Hollywood a hundred years ago right now. And the Earl Automobile Works in the, you know, from 1910 to 1920 just had an, a, you know, meteoric blast off. And then Harley started designing these custom cars for movie stars and millionaires. You know, one of the first ones was Fatty Arbuckle. You know, he did this for Cecil B. DeMille. Um, Pauline Fredericks, uh, you know, all of these first in, in, in the, uh, in the, you know, silent film era, but Fatty Arbuckle, he gave him the treatment at the Earl Automobile Works, just to give you an idea what those clay models were all about. You know, um, Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle was the first actor in Hollywood to make over a million dollars a year in the motion picture industry. In the 1920s. Yeah. And it's actually 1919. And uh, he went down the first, like I said, the first thing he did was like, I got to get me one of these sleds. 
<laughs> that everybody's driving around that I, I really respect, like the other movie stars. Like if you had something that was a declaration of your personal style, it was like, you know, your, 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 it was the most important uh, consumer product then as well as it is today. But, but anyway, so Roscoe went down to the plant, the Earl Auto Works, Harley gave him the treatment, took him in a room. He's like, I built the car for you already, Roscoe. I want to show it to you. He's like, what do you mean you built the car for me? A one-of-a-kind car. He takes him into a room. It's dark. The lights come on. The curtains part. And there's this Pierce arrow on a pedestal like 20 feet away, and the lights are beautifully on. It's like a jewel. And Roscoe's like, wow, I got to get in it. This thing's amazing. And Harley has to literally stop him and and put his hand on his arms. No, 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 you can't get in it. I actually borrowed this technique from your, your industry. This is just like a stage. I'm staging the car for you. It's like an architectural rendering. If you sit, if you open the door, you're going to rip it off. And if you were to get in and sit in the chair, it's just a, it's just a, um, you know, it's it's just like a movie set. It's not real. It's like a, it's a clay model of a car on a wooden armature, and that's a real interior on the inside. And those are real Burmese teak wheels, by the way. Harley sold him on the idea right there, twenty eight thousand dollar Pierce Arrow. Oh wow! On a, you know. He, he paid 28 grand for, you know, Harley bought a $2,000 Pierce Arrow and put a $26,000 body on it. So all the celebrities started buying and that and they were like the greatest automobile customizer in the world is right here. What you're saying is this was a coach works. So he would get the guts and, you know, maybe the, uh, the chassis and the undercarriage exactly. from a place and the drivetrain and then put beauty on top of it and design across that and, and build around it, which is great, just great. amazing. Yeah, that's it, Mark. That's uh, exactly it. The other thing I was kind of uh, stirring Richard to is I want him to tell the clay model story and how that came about. Oh God. I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's an old family story. Um, the Earls would get out of hot LA every summer, 19 years in a row. And they go up in, uh, into the mountains to cool off at the Bailey's ranch. You know, they'd be doing this, this no fancy dude ranch. You know, this was camping outside and, and, um, and a lot of hunting. And, um, you know, this is like, it would take about, um, 16 hours to get there in, in, in a Chalmers back then. Uh, and today it'd take you less than two and a half hours or two hours in a Corvette. Well, no highways then. <laughs> right. It would take so, Brett even less time. <laughs> so, so another way to cool off the boys, you know, Harley had three brothers and a sister. So the boys would go down the riverbed and cool off, but there was a hollow of clay in that riverbed at the Bailey's ranch. And uh, Harley bless his heart you know, you know, growing up in that factory, working with his dad, all those boys worked in the factory. And, uh, you know, they, they, they hear that hammering and or see that hammering against metal and wood. And it was really hard work. And then Harley just all of a sudden started getting these, building these armatures in the side of the riverbed that, excuse me, and him and his brother, Art, they built like over 25 different models that day. And they had done it, you know, different summers in the past. But this particular summer, when Harley was 16, he built these cars. Some of them were like 
full size into the half of them built into the side of the canyon wall. And he had a, like a train there that looked like something <laughs> you know, huh. down the road. So the funny thing is, is like, you know, JW, Jacob, with Farley's dad's name, came down the riverbed, saw these clay models and geez, Harley, gosh, you really got something here. I mean, they were done like cars of the day, you know, with like, uh, 90 degree angles these were done with an artist's hand sculpting getting down on his hands and knees and moving that new medium clay he just reached into that side of that that riverbed and pulled out that brown auto gold i got something right <laughs> he formed uh, it out of clay and breathed oil into it and it hey, was alive <laughs> the man was a, the, the man was a visionary no doubt yes. that's awesome. no doubt no doubt so this, this led to, of course, creating the car design profession, and he created the glossary of terms and the, all the tools, not to mention the, uh, the scholarship programs that GM Styling would, would uh, you know, send to Art Center College, of course, you guys know, and like Pratt Institute. And so he set up not only the curriculum, but the important programs the landmark scholarship programs for which these, um, you know, for which car designers could go to school and learn how to design a car. So there's so much to cover, and we're never ever going to get to all we're of it tonight. Run out of time on I'm, it. I, I already, I'm laughing. I'm, I know. I'm already planning to have you back. Let's talk about Harley's top ten milestones. If you could just hit on each one briefly. You know, you got the Motorama. I would say. He, he, he invented the modern auto show that, that, I mean, you go to the auto show in the 50s, there was couture. There were these women in these amazing Dior dresses standing next to the cars on the turntables. And it was like taking in a theatrical performance just like it is today. And all the visual treat. Then you got, he's the father of the concept car. Along, when I say he... I'm talking that's about cool. that's with Harley Earl. Harley Earl did not do this alone. He had this amazing dream team, which were the leaders. And I'm not talking about his styling department that he, you know, which was a one-off and that every car company in the world today, you know, does it the Harley Earl way, like the GM way, which is where car design came from. But so the concept car revolution, I mean, you all you guys have been to a car show, of course, right? Oh, one yeah. or two. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. Why do half the boys and the men and the people that go to car shows go? Well, they want to see the concept cars. And boy, you know, every concept car in the world uh, since uh, the Y job, which is the first concept car, uh, came from, you know, came from from these, 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 these dream cars that Harley created back in the – the fifties, like 20, no, over 35, one of a kind cars that were wow. uh, national treasures. He hired the first uh, all female uh, design team to, to have, you know, work alongside his men. He understood that women were the next big thing in the auto industry. Hell, they were the next big thing going into the post, into the pre-World War II era and the post-World War II era. And the reason being that, you know, gosh, you know, any guys married, you try to go buy a car and you don't consult your wife, be a lot of restless nights on the couch, right? 
hardly recognized and he wrote about it you know when he was interviewed in articles and everything said that seven out of ten purchases of cars are made by primarily by women so wow. women make the decisions on on you know the buying power in the household and everything so that's really interesting so that's of course a really big one and then there mark that's the here's the one that you love yes. Ta-da! Oh my God, I live and die by tail fins, man. <laughs> it's what keeps you going straight down the road. I mean, they're very useful. <laughs> you know, I mean, wait till you see the tail fins that Harley did before World War II. I mean, that were on vehicles. I mean, if you look at the Future Liner, which you guys have probably all seen, it has a giant tail fin designed into its, uh, you know, back end. So it's just, the, the, you know, plus there's the Buck Jones Cadillac you got to see from the thirties that has, you know, another car designed for, for, a, you know, like the John Wayne of, of the silent film era. And, um, Buck Jones had a Cadillac and just, just search it. It's amazing. Oh, yeah, that is all oh, that future liner is awesome. Yeah, I've seen that one up close. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So, so, you know, I mean, you've got the Corvette. Now you're in my wheelhouse. Absolutely. It's one of the reasons I took 20 years to really get it all together. I mean, imagine the the, the rabbit holes I oh. went down to get the story behind the greatest, uh, the largest, the most prestigious industrial corporation built in the world through design and technology leadership. And I'm talking about during the mid 20th century when those leaders cemented General Motors near 50% market share for decades of time. Just halfway home, and you already know that the modern car industry wouldn't be what it is without your grandfather. Absolutely. It, it's so interesting that you say that because I just kind of changed it up here today. You know, if you guys look at this quote by um, Angus McKenzie of Motor Trend, you know, he says it best. General Motors invented the modern automobile company, and much yeah. of it has to do with Harley Earl. And 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 why is that kind of cool? Well, you know, he was this artist engineer impresario, the chief curator of the Peterson Automotive Museum, yeah. Leslie Kendall, who's a friend of mine. And when I started this web, website back in fourteen, you know, I'd known him for over uh, about nine years at that time. And I was like, Leslie, can I use your quote that you put in that book? And, and uh, he's like, absolutely, up on the front of the Harley Earl website. I'm just going to read it because this gets you really close to the the, the, the guy, the, the 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 six foot six, two thirty five artist engineer impresario, Da Vinci of Detroit, the chairman of Change, the sheriff of style. Quote: Harley J. Earl is one of the most hotly collected artists of the 20th century, whose name is ironically often unknown among collectors of his work, end quote. And I'm an so amazing, true. startling man. And there's so much more to cover. And I, I want to have you back. We need to have you back. I want to talk about everything else uh, that your grandfather did. And also all the other people that he motivated to continue his work and his legacy. Uh, Richard, I cannot thank you enough for being with us. Well, thanks, you guys. It was a real honor to be here and um, get to meet you guys as well. And it's fun to uh, Zoom. <laughs> we're, we're, yeah. It is, isn't it? <laughs> it? It was 
It was as much an honor for us, Richard. Thank you so very much. We've been speaking to automotive historian Richard Earle about the golden age of American cars and uh, his grandfather, Harley Earle, who spearheaded it all. You can find all of Richard's social media links and his website link on readthedriven.com. Thank you so much for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our audience. You can find us online at Driven Radio Show and readthedriven.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show, and everywhere fine podcasts are heard. I am Brett Hatfield for Corey Pratt and Catfish Groves. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time here on Driven Radio. Driven Radio.